0: And welcome to To Your Books. I'm Simon. I'm Rachel. And this is episode nineteen. Um, in this episode, we'll be doing summer versus winter. We'll find out what that means soon. <laughs> and in the second half, we'll be looking at two novels by Sarah Waters: The Little Stranger and The Night Watch. Um, if our track record of going modern is anything to go by, it may be appalling. But let's see what happens. First of all, Rachel, how are you? And what are you reading?
1: I'm very well, thanks, Simon. Um, I am reading at the moment. Well, I just—I have to say—I read very quickly on Sunday. Um, Simon and I, and some other blogger friends, Kira and Claire. Hello, if you're listening. Nice Hi, um, We went to Hampstead on Saturday, and we went book shopping. And I just so happened to find in the bookshop the Agatha Christie book that Simon had recommended to me on the last podcast, *The Murder of Roger Ackroyd*. So I picked that up, and I could not put it down. Um, I was so
0: impressed by how fast you read it.
1: I mean, honestly, it was addictive. And the ending, I have never been so surprised in my life. It's amazing. If you haven't read it, you need to. I mean, I know you have. I mean, I'm talking to people in general.
0: I actually haven't read it. Have you not? Because that's the problem, because I know what happens. I can't really read it. I don't um, remember, remember yeah. how I found out what happened, but I thought, oh, that's going to spoil it.
1: But... Yeah, but you know what? It's still worth reading, because honestly, I could see no clue.
0: Hmm.
1: Until I then thought about it and was like, oh, yeah, no, actually. But I don't even think if you knew the ending, you would get it on the first read. Intriguing. Oh.
0: Um, maybe I will go, because I've always just assumed it was one that I couldn't. But um, Which is why I always make everyone read it before they find out what happens. <laughs>
1: well, I'm surprised I didn't already know, because apparently it's like the first example of that happening. But I will say no more. We're being so cryptic, ending, aren't we? <laughs> I know, cryptic. But read it, basically. And then... Um, I'm also, I'm nearly finished, um, the piano shop on the left, what's it?
0: On the left bank, yes, love it. On the left
1: bank, yeah, which is wonderful. I picked it up in the charity shop and as some of you may know, I've recently started playing the piano and I love anything to do with Paris or pianos. Um, So it's a perfect blend of the two and it's lovely, it's a little memoir. Of, a, of an American man. I think he still lives in Paris, actually. Mm-hmm. He lives in... I think it's set... He's like writing about the 1990s in uh, a little quartier on the left bank of Paris, and it's about this piano shop that's on his street, and he ends up buying a piano from them and their little relationships. It sounds like a thin premise, but it's actually working <laughs> very well. Yeah, I read it
0: in 2004, because I read it... After I'd taken my grade 8 piano, and before I got the results, and it was the first time I'd ever been really excited about the piano, and I was like, I've become this whole new piano-loving person after all these years of playing the piano. And then I found out I'd failed my grade 8, and it all sort of went away. <laughs>
1: so, but you know what, Simon, at least you made it to grade 8.
0: Well, anyone can take grade 8. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, I should point out, I do have the other grades leading up to grade 8. I wasn't just like, I'll give this a whirl, see what happens. <laughs> um but recently I've come back, I think, to the piano. Um, so it's only taken 10 years to get over that rejection.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? These things cut us deeply. Yeah.
0: But yes, we had a lovely time on Saturday, didn't we? Um, yeah. So I, one of my friends texted me about something and I, re- I was still asking if a could chat and I was replied saying, sorry, I'm on a literary walking tour of Hampstead. <laughs> she just replied <laughs> with, of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, a um, couple very nice people from uh, Vintage, Will and Suzanne. Suzanne, Susanna? Susanna. Know. Susanna. Um, who were lovely and very funny. Um, gave us a, a tour of, um, the great and the good who've lived around Hampstead. Uh, which it was only the four of us bloggers on the tour, and I think we had a higher level of general knowledge about authors than they were perhaps expecting when they wrote the tour. <laughs> so occasionally they say, Do you know who Catherine Mansfield is? And we'd all nod and think, Okay, I'll skip this paragraph. <laughs> but it was great fun. Yeah, it's
1: brilliant. And we got some good book shopping in.
0: We did. Well, we went to that bookshop, um, <laughs> which
1: accessible bookshop. Yes,
0: taken the brave choice to not allow you to look at any of the books <laughs> 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 stacked up, um, boxes and picture frames. But I still managed to rescue um, *The House of Cobweb* by George Gissing from that one. So. Yes, and
1: that's yeah. where I got my Agatha Christie from. So. Oh, so it was. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. So, what are you reading? I love how we're both drinking tea. At the I day know. Day sorry,
0: day. sorry for tea oh. noises you can hear. But we just both got back from work, and you need to have a cup of tea when you get back in from work.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, actually, very appropriately, I'm um, reading a book called Agatha, The Real Life of Agatha Christie, oh. that is a graphic, um, I guess, novel slash biography of Agatha Christie. Well, wow. um, it's
1: unexpected.
0: Yeah, well, I've got into graphic novels recently, In um, yeah, which I didn't really see happening. Um, the, the couple by Brecht Evans that um, I really loved, so he sort of was the doorway into them for me. Um I like them if they're very beautiful. Sort of, um, his tends to be watercolours, this one isn't, but if it doesn't look too much like a, you know, Spider-Man comic, then I could be in. <laughs> this one is translated from the French. Um, it's got three names on it, so it might be all of them who've written it. Anne Martinetti, Guillaume lebeau and Alexandre Fran. Um, I don't know. I'm going to type those up somewhere for people who can speak French can understand it. But um <laughs> it's a... um it's sort of a biography about her disappearance, the famous time she disappeared uh, for eleven okay, days. Okay. Yeah. Which yeah. frankly I find quite a tedious point in her life and I'm not that interested in it. But um this one looks quite obviously not what happened in that Akiparo meets her on that disappearance and they sort of talk about it to each other. Interesting. But yeah, it's it's really it's a really lovely book and the illustrations are really good. I like the style. Um I'm not very far into it yet, but I'll feed back in due course.
1: Yeah. Oh, we we'll wait with baited breasts. Well then.
0: quite. <laughs> um
1: Yeah. Cool. So, so we've talked to lots of very exciting things, haven't we?
0: Haven't we, Just?
1: And we hope that our next topic will be exciting.
0: But and am quite sure. Yes. Yeah, so Rachel, you, you were very keen for this topic to be chosen. Notice much like last time how <laughs> I, instead of you voicing the blame on me, I voiced it on you from the outset. <laughs> yeah. Um Tell us more.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, I thought it would be nice to talk about books that were set during specific seasons and which ones we preferred. So you know, summer, winter, opposites, um, and I can think of many wonderful books actually that are set during the summer and that have all the wonderful qualities associated with summer, such as the idea of lightness, of joy, happiness, relaxation, History. and. Yeah, beaches, <laughs> holidays. holidays. Um, and I think probably one of my favourite books set during the summer is um, Elizabeth and Her German Garden and The Solitary Summer, which are two, but like The Solitary Summer is a sequel to Elizabeth and Her German Garden. And they are by Elizabeth von Arnim, who was a very prolific writer at the turn of the century um, and is also the cousin of Catherine Mansfield, if anyone's interested. Oh,
0: Callback, like it.
1: Yeah. Um, and they are these wonderful atmospheric novels that are set in the garden of her German chateau, uh, not chateau castle. So I can't remember the mm. word in German. Um, I mean, I've
0: never known it. I, didn't think. <laughs> uh,
1: I did do German GCSE, funnily enough, but oh. it's all gone. Um, and. She describes with such wonderful, vibrant detail the changing of the of the season in her garden and the flowers and the, just the abundance of it all and the enjoyment of being outside, of having meals outside, of the children playing outside. And it's really evocative of, I think, childhood summers when you just, it seems like the summer holidays went on forever and were always sunny when they obviously weren't. <laughs> Um, and it just I can smell the grass, I can smell the flowers, and it just makes me feel really relaxed when I read it and I just f- think of summer and it's so beautiful um and I really really love those books because they take me back to a sense of my childhood, i suppose and um, I think when we think of childhood, we tend to think of the summer, don't we?
0: Yeah, that's probably true. I guess that's um perhaps because of the summer holidays and the time spent <laughs> with family and um the rest of the school year maybe blurs into one, where it says yeah. the times where you're likely to have had your adventures or done the unusual things.
1: Yeah. What about you, Simon? Any uh, summer books that that you like?
0: Well, <laughs> any summer <laughs> books? Yes, Rachel <laughs> knows what I'm going to say. Um, as does anyone who's read my blog, I guess. Um, which is the summer book by Tove Jansson. Um, on the side of bar of my blog, since I started it, I've had a list of. Um, well, it's called 50 Books You Must Read But May Not Have Heard About, which has been growing over the nine years I've been blogging and is currently on number 49, so we're getting very near the end. But number one, um not that it's any, in any order, it's just the first one I wanted to recommend, was The Summer Book by Teffi Anson, um, which my friend Barbara uh, recommended to me back in the day. And that's a collection of... Um, they're, they're sort of short stories and they're sort of one long episodic novel. It's the same people in all of them. Um It's a little girl who's... Presumably based on Tebra herself and her grandmother. Um it's just sort of experiencing life by the by the sea in oof, either Sweden or Finland <laughs> um, in Scandinavia um, and over summers and it's um I think perhaps because I'm not someone who likes heat very much, I can appreciate a Scandinavian summer more than I might be able to appreciate a Mediterranean summer, in that it's very sunny, I imagine, but not too hot. Um, so I can feel myself in that sort of, to me, idyllic situation. Um, although actually a collection of hers that I prefer is called a winter book. <laughs> uh, sorry, no, or rather, yes, a winter book and the summer book, I think, rather than, or a summer book and the winter book. Anyway, um, which is an edited collection that sort of books did at some point. I do not think it was ever published. In that order, um, in the original language or by Tova herself, but, um, and indeed, most of the stories don't seem to be particularly set in winter. I think it was more <laughs> just a marketing ploy, <laughs> but, but those stories are beautiful. Um, I, do you find that you're affected in your reading by when, a, when in a year a book is set? Do you, do you notice it strongly?
1: Um, I think I do, and I think it's because writers tend to use the seasons as a reflection of of the plot and the setting, et cetera. you know, classic pathetic fallacy. So for example, you know, Ethan Threat Frame, which is the most depressing book I've ever read by Edith Wharton. Beautiful, but so depressing. Mm-hmm. It's set in the depths of winter. Um, and it's a snowbound landscape and, you know, you really feel the, um, the isolation and the, the death and the sadness in the novel, because it's that time of year in, in nature. And, um, I'm just thinking about, um, narnia for example the Nine mm, mm. the, the, the witch in the wardrobe you know when you go there and you see this what seems to be this magical beautiful landscape but you soon realize that actually the winter is a sign of repression and and um, sadness because there's always winter and never christmas which is the famous mm. line um and i'm trying to think of another wintry book that um is negative
0: um the one that always stays with me so to interrupt is um I'm not sure it's particularly negative, but it's, the, it's the, one of the few books where it's really, really struck me, the sort of weather it was, was um The Tenderness of Wolves by Steph Penny. Did you read that? I haven't read it, no. So, my book group did it years ago. Um To be honest, I don't remember that much about the plot. Um I just remember, at some point, the main character has to walk through snow for a long time, and it really brought across how cold she, she he? See, <laughs> I don't remember anything at all about it, but, but the character was... um just b- battling the elements, and I I sometimes find it tricky to get that sort of feeling from a book about, because I don't um, pick up on things about place as much as some readers, I think, um, I don't often feel I'm tuning into it in that way, but that one, it did just sort of overwhelm me, um, and I thought, yeah, due to Stephanie's writing, she did a really great job with that.
1: Yeah, I think that the the time of year can have a real impact on how you feel about a book as well. And I think for me, like, when I think about books that I've loved, they tend to be books that are set during the summer. Um, Like, um, one of my favourite books that I read over the past few years, which was a reprint by Daunt Books, actually, is The Favourite of the Gods by Sybil Bedford, which mm. is, and also um the sequel to it whose name i cannot remember uh, compass era a oh, compass era thank you so much um which are both set during the summer in italy and france and they just have that wonderful quality of um childhood memories and just heat and pleasure and that also the heat builds up to the like the tension of the novel and like the great gatsby as well as as the summer gets hotter and hotter and hotter so does the the tension between the characters and there's that wonderful scene in the great gatsby when they're in that um in the hotel room and it's so hot and it's that's the moment where everything sort of explodes and i think summer is a really effective way of of showing that kind of sense both of relaxation but also of tension whereas i find books set during the winter um tend to be more about isolation and kind of hiding yourself away from the world and hibernation and um, darkness.
0: That's true, but I guess um, partly that's because of, you know, snow and ice, or whatever, making places um, unreachable. There is that sense of things setting in the depths of winter also being about claustrophobia and about, <laughs> as you say, isolation. Um, and I don't know what it says about me, but I think I prefer those in general to the ones about. <laughs> so I think because I hate heat so much, if I'm reading something where a character is feeling very hot or in a stifling room or something, I just find it uncomfortable to read about. Um, I guess if they're playing on a beach or something, it's fine, but there's, <laughs> there's something I like about reading so, about people who are very cold, perhaps because I'm reading it inside and thinking well, I'm feeling quite cozy. So it's yeah. quite nice to imagine myself there. Um,
1: I quite like their Little House on the Prairie books when they're set in the winter. Like, the long winter is is really good, the one where they're stuck in the house because the snow's so bad. Mm. Um, But there is that craziness to it, but there's also an undercurrent of unpleasantness. Um, But I think, yeah, I just love books that conjure up that sense of forever summer, which I just think about as, as being childhood, like Cider with Rosie, for example, a beautiful memoir by Laurie Lee, that's basically, there are parts of it that are set during the winter, but the bits that stick out for me are the bits where they're in the summer and there's the beautiful description of the fields and the flowers. And um, it just makes me think of England and countryside in summertime. And (laughs) I feel really positive about them. And I feel more positive about books set during the summer. And they tend to be things I remember more than wintry books. And I I think I actually actively avoid reading books set during the winter. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Was So Long See You Tomorrow set during... a. Heat wave? Am I imagining that?
1: Um, they came like swallows. Is I'm not sure. Oh, that maybe that's one. what I'm
0: thinking of. Right. Yeah. Um, by William Maxwell. Yes. Um, I spoke to, was speaking to my mum about this pairing um, because <laughs> she wanted she was suggesting topics for future episodes, um, and she very quickly said, "Well, you in which case you must talk about A Midsummer Night's Dream versus The Winter's Tale." Was like, ah. Very quick, mother. Very quick. I don't remember The Winter's Tale being particularly wintry. No. You know, um, I mean, of those two, I definitely prefer The Winter's Tale. I, don't, I love it, and I don't particularly like A Midsummer Night's Dream, but um, I'm not sure what that tells us about the seasons more broadly.
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> then if you think about, you know, Winter's Tale is um, a play that's quite tragic, and then A Midsummer Night's Dream is a comedy. Summer, winter, you know.
0: Well, true. Um, yes, it's... Well, do, in general, outside of books, do you prefer being... Being in very hot climates or very cold or colder climates.
1: Heat, always
0: heat. Yeah. I wonder what this, I mean, so yeah, I wonder what that says about us as readers. Hmm. (laughs) Um, It does seem perhaps we're drawn most to what we enjoy the most outside of books, which perhaps isn't surprising. Although my favourite season in real life is spring, um, but I can't think of that many books. Off the top of my head, where springtime is important, except I loved Susan Hill's book in the springtime of the year Um about. I hated that book. Oh, did you? Maybe we should talk about it another time. Maybe we should keep keep quiet for now. We could do a couple of Susan Hills. Um, but yes, I do. I think I think spring lends itself perhaps to metaphor quite a lot. But, um, yes. Um. Well, in fact, do all the seasons lend themselves to metaphor? Perhaps they do.
1: I think they do, and I think seasons are used very metaphorically in most books, really. I mean, I'm just thinking of other spring books for you. The Enchanted April, which I know you love.
0: Oh, yes, of course.
1: Um, mm. And also One Fine Day, I think, is set during spring slash summer, early summer, um, by Molly Pantadowns, which mm. We well,
0: talked about in another episode, didn't we? Um yes. Which we both love. Um, yeah, I think... A lot of childhood memoirs often focus... As, as you say, we think about our own childhoods as being sort of endless summer, and I think a lot of memoirs do the same thing. Yeah. Um, I haven't actually read it, but Several Sitwell wrote one called All Summer in a Day that was quite intriguing. I started once, but gave up on quickly. But, um, I do, <laughs> I do love childhood memoirs a lot, and that will find out which ones we're doing next week later, guys. That's a little spoiler <laughs> for the end of the episode. Um, But things like, um, Dodie Smith's Look Back With Love and, um, Rosemary Sapler's brilliant one, Blue Remembered Hills, they, they often look at that sort of perennial summer. And I think it's the only time in your life when time feels sort of endless is, is a summer holiday. You get to the other end and can't really remember the beginning of it
1: no you don't really it feels like it's going to stretch on forever and when you're a child time does expand and it's only when you get older and i remember when i became a teacher and i was like oh six weeks off amazing <laughs> and then you know it literally flies by because it's really not actually that long but it felt like months when i was a child And i think actually something that's quite interesting is um virginia wolf into the lighthouse you know that's set during the summer and that is her purging of her childhood memories um, and mm. you could argue that in many ways that's an element of autobiography Um I think we do latch on to summer memories and for me because they have such positive associations um that's I just I'm drawn to books set during the summer because I expect them to be about these positive things that I associate with the season
0: and I guess winter books um, with apologies to our southern hemisphere listeners, often feature Christmas. Yes. <laughs> of course, some of books feature Christmas if you're in Australia. But, um, so we get, you know, obviously the classic like Dickens and such. Um, well, having said that, we, I think we talked about festive reading a while ago. Um, yeah. and how there wasn't actually th- as much as you might think. But, um, it's a bit like the Antinania in that winter books often, if they are about winter, do you seem to focus around Christmas
1: yeah. rather than just yeah. like,
0: always Christmas but never winter sort of thing.
1: <laughs> very good. Simon. Thank you very much. TM. Um, so that's um, <laughs> that's one of the, probably one of the reasons also why I do avoid books set during the winter because I know that they're probably going to have some element of Christmas and I don't like reading about Christmas outside of Christmas. It's like you can't watch Home Alone when it's not Christmas as much as I love it. <laughs>
0: Well, there's a rule I wasn't aware of. I I haven't chosen to watch Home Alone voluntarily for about 20 years. I, don't I was
1: actually on TV the other day and I was like, "What is this? <laughs> it's May. You can't show this now."
0: How dare you?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I feel, I feel like I would only, yeah, cho- uh, actively choose a Christmas book at Christmas whereas <laughs> and maybe even just a winter book in winter. Um, whereas I'd feel quite happy reading a spring or autumn book at any time. I think
1: yeah, I wonder why this is, Simon.
0: Hmm, something psychological, I'm sure. <laughs> but I think more often than not, I'll finish a book and not know when it was set in the year. Um, so I'm
1: very sensitive to that kind of, to the, na- the descriptions of nature in books. I think because I grew up in a concrete jungle, um, I have more of a sensitivity to it because it's something that I always longed for when I was a child, was to be in the countryside and to see countryside. Um, I mean, not that I grew up, I mean, I grew up in the suburbs, but there wasn't, you know...
0: Yeah,
1: going on, and I didn't have a very big garden, so it was uh, escapism, and I think that's that sense of escapism and wanting to be in the countryside and things um, that I still really, really enjoy. And there's a book I think I just remembered that I absolutely loved, it's set in the summer, and I cannot think of the name, but you'll know it if I tell it. That tell you the story. It's the one. It's really, really slim. It's where the guy is after the war. A month and, in the country. A month in the country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love yes,
0: yeah, lovely. Is that set in summer? I can't remember.
1: Yes, it is, and it's yeah. lovely, and it's so evocative of the countryside as well. Like LP Hartley's *The Go Between* as well.
0: Oh yes, from our very first episode when we talked about that. I love um,
1: that book so much.
0: And that's definitely one where I felt part. the stifling heat. Um, yeah, definitely, that definitely came across.
1: Yes, um, and it's currently a musical in London, which I feel is it in on many levels.
0: Are you going to go see it?
1: No, I I. I I couldn't imagine anything more hideous than a <laughs> musical. I can't even think what songs there would be.
0: Yeah. Um <laughs> Have they written new songs? Is it a jukebox
1: musical? Do you know, I have no idea. Search into this. If anyone has seen it, please do tell us what you think.
0: Yeah. Gosh, uh, I, how was biz- how was <laughs> that?
1: Yeah, when I first saw it, I thought. A play. I have to go, and then it was like a musical underneath, and I just thought, "I'm sorry, but I just can't see this."
0: Rachel, we have to go. It'll be amazing.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it sounds hilarious. We need to go and report back. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Oh dear. Um.
1: Well, on that shocker.
0: Well, quite. Yes, I, um, I'm, I'm going to pay more attention now to when books are said. I think because, well, you know, there's keys that, um. So cues that I, I never pick up of, like, certain flowers mentioned or whatever. I remember reading some some author's letters that someone had written and caught them out for putting, you know, an agapanthus when it couldn't be or whatever. But not knowing at all when different flowers or plants um, come out, I, I just, you know, I'll, I'll read a description of them, not have a clue what what clues I'm supposed to be picking up from that. Um, unless it's, you know, like, they brought a Christmas tree into the living room, <laughs> then I know what's up. Or a daffodil or something, I can just sort of cope with that. And I did grow up from the countryside, so, you know, I just grew up with a profound ignorance.
1: Same with you, Simon. <laughs>
0: um, but that's my, that's my resolution post-episode for um, paying more attention in my reading. Be a more thoughtful, seasonal reader. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but of the two, I think because I can't stand the heat, <laughs> um, and it does make me feel uncomfortable sometimes reading about it, and I quite like isolation. I'm going to go for winter.
1: Lovely. I'm going to go for summer because it makes me think of happy memories and Aww. heat and sunbathing. Very nice. Yes.
0: Okay. Um, in the second part, we will be talking about two Sarah Walters novels about which I remember very little. So, <laughs> so it's going to be more of an impressionistic take on them than anyth- anything more detailed than that. Um, the novels are The Little Stranger um, and The Watch*. Um, can I talk about The Little Stranger because I don't remember anything at all about The Night Watch? Yes. <laughs> so I actually read them both in, in 2010. I was discovering while I was looking on my my blog earlier. Although it feels like I read The Little Stranger much more recently. The Little Stranger is Sarah Waters' ghost novel. Well, she's written a few a few ghost novels, but it's um it's basically um set in this big mansion in the forties.
1: Yeah, no, fifties, fifties.
0: Fifties, thank you. Uh, um. And oh no, I've already forgotten every detail about it.
1: <laughs> I know that cobra, are you're okay.
0: Um I'm just gonna pass to you and it will yeah. all come back to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so The Little Stranger is set in the very early fifties, um, I think, or very late forties anyway, after World War Two in general. And it's <laughs> set around this big house, Hundreds Hall, that um that this guy, whose name I can't remember, he's a doctor. Um, <laughs> doctor
0: Faraday. I'm looking up on my blog as Dr. we speak.
1: Faraday. He is in. He grew up in the area, and he remembers the day when this house was the centre of the community, when the richest local family lived there, when it was beautiful, and um, he was entranced by it. He was taken there as a child. His mother had used to work there as a servant, um, and he's never kind of lost this sense of the house being a symbol of you know, dreams, unachievable dreams and all the rest of it. Um, and so he goes on to become a countryside doctor and then after the war, the house has started to d- deteriorate. The, um, the The man of the house has died and his wife, he's quite old and their two grown-up children are living there and their son has been crippled in the war and their daughter is rather eccentric and their, their mum is also rather eccentric and it's basically this very slightly disturbing story about how the doctor becomes a part of the life of the house and starts to fall in love with the daughter but then these strange uh, paranormal events keep taking place and um lots of tragedies happen as a result of that and there's an an ending that um, is deliberately uncertain, but you have to kind of figure out what's really been going on, and it's a it's a very creepy, psychologically creepy rather than gory creepy um, mm. novel that is very much open to individual interpretation. Which is, but but you get enough clues to be able to be quite secure in your interpretation, which is what I really like about it.
0: Well, that's something we should definitely talk about later, and there probably will be spoilers because I find the ending quite confusing <laughs> but thank you for that a mixture of listening to you and scrolling quickly through my blog review has brought it brought it That's crystal clear back to me good <laughs> um so do the same for the night watch please <laughs>
1: okay, well i didn't actually finish the night watch i started it a few weeks ago and i made it to about page 200 before giving up um essentially it's quite an interesting novel in that it starts at the end and then goes back in time um so it's the events take place after the war and you've got a cast of various different characters who are all tenuously collect, uh, connected to each other. It's set in London. Um, so you've got quite a few... You've got a couple of girls who work in a an in a, um, introductions agency, like a dating agency, but like a full-on old-fashioned dating agency where you actually have to go to the office and sign yourself up. Um, and then there's a couple of... And one of them is having a relationship with another woman, Um, One of them is having a relationship with a married man. And then there's also the girl who's having a relationship with the married man um, has a mysterious brother who did something during the war and was in prison, but we don't know why. Um, And they're all very ashamed of him, but we don't know why. and various other people who come and go and it's basically what I gathered though nothing had happened by page 200 <laughs> um, was that we would gradually find out what had taken place uh during the war to make them the way they were at the end of the novel uh sorry at the beginning of the novel um which is obviously in the future from when we're going to go back to but um yeah, I I never read far enough to find out. <laughs> Why that.
0: did you give up them?
1: Um, I I gave up because nothing was happening, and also I I really loved A Little Stranger, but I find that Sarah Waters goes completely overboard with description, much mm. of which is irrelevant to the story. In the Night Watch, you know, like excessive description. Um, of what characters are you know their appearance and what they're doing all the time and um, and I felt that actually I was wading through prose and not really sure what the point was and actually I didn't feel connected to the characters or particularly compelled by their stories to want to find out what had happened to them in the past um it was you know the stuff there was a few intriguing things like about the brother but i'd kind of already sort of figured out what it must have been and i wasn't really that bothered by it you know I, <laughs> i'm not gonna find this shocking um and i just found it frustrating how tenuously everyone was connected as like in london really are you you know so you work with someone whose brother happens to live in the same rooming house as your sister or whatever you know like it just doesn't it didn't work for me on that level okay but it was very atmospheric it was very um the description of London and how it looked after the war and the kind of decrepit nature of it and the smouldering bomb sites and how everyone was all a bit depressed and down and everything. That was really good because you don't actually, um, I've never really read that many books set after World War Two. I think people are so obsessed with writing about books set during the war that no one ever really does that hinterland afterwards between, you know, the swinging sixties and um, before pre-war. So it's kind of this image of England as being this really, and London in particular is being a really dingy place, and that's quite effective. Um but yeah, it was just a bit like, I didn't really understand what the whole point was.
0: Okay. Um yeah, I got well, I've read all of her novels except her first one, um, Tipping the Velvet, and I have to say that these two are my least favourite and my most favourite. Um of those one I Little Stranger is my favourite. So this is a huge spoiler for which one I'm gonna choose, but um, <laughs> <laughs> But um so I talk about the Nightwatch first, from what I remember. But I think actually, even whilst I was reading it, I didn't quite know what was going on. I was just reading my review of it earlier to myself, and um, and I just I found all of the main female characters quite interchangeable. Yeah. Um, I should say I'm going to be a bit critical, but I did really like it. I really like everything I've read by her, at least to an extent. Um, but my main problem with it. Um, was that I, I love this idea of it going backwards and it brought some really great sort of aha moments, which I, I don't remember the details of now, but I remember finding it very satisfying at the time. There was something about a ring that being passed yeah. on that became very, um, very well dealt with in the end and, and a few other things like that. But there's only actually three different time zones or time, or different periods that she goes back to. Um, and, one of those, I think, was dealt with quite briefly. What I would have loved if it, if it had been maybe like seven or eight different ones, it just felt a bit like she was a bit half-hearted with the idea um, and didn't fulfil its complete potential. Um, but at the same time, she writes so engagingly, so captivatingly. always. Well, I thought so. You obviously gave up. But um, I, I was still really drawn onwards. I felt perhaps less so in that one than in some of the others I've read. Um I find always with her that she's never quite written the book that she's capable of.
1: No, I she, agree. I agree. I think that's the main issue I have with her. Like, I think she's a great writer, but I always feel like her books lack something and she takes forever to get to the point.
0: Yeah, she doesn't do a short book, does yeah. <laughs> she?
1: You get to the halfway mark and you're like, I still have no idea where this is going and I should know where this is going by now. <laughs> that's how I feel. Like I'm still waiting for a plot halfway through every time I'm reading. Um and I d and I feel like I shouldn't have to have two hundred and fifty pages of description before I get plot, do you know what I mean?
0: Well I guess that's true. Um I feel like sometimes it's saying have you read Fingersmith?
1: I have. I did really enjoy yeah.
0: that. I thought it's um I thought the lengthy description paid off there because of the brilliant twist halfway yeah. through, which won't spoil now. Um what let that book down for me is that by the end, there were just so many twists that I couldn't work out what was going on. Yeah. It, it felt like if she just rested on that one brilliant twist in the middle, it would have been such a great novel. But by the end, there were all these mistaken identities and fake identities and things that people had have been lying about. And and I generally had to, like, stop and think every every now and then, who are these people? What's going on? Who believes what's true? Who's lying about what? And yeah. <laughs> um, it just was far too much. Um, which is a shame. I think she was just a bit, I don't know, ambitious, or maybe it just doubted herself or something with that one it didn't it felt like that um whereas the little stranger i really loved um and i thought i thought the description of the house was brilliant i love descriptions for rambling houses always um she's talked about it being her um class novel all about him like raising up as you say like it used mm. to be the servant's son becoming the local doctor and how he's trying he's sort of on their level now as it were wasn't for i'm not that interested in class novels to be honest i find them a bit tedious so that bit i wasn't that bothered about um she said at the time i think that she only added the supernatural bit afterwards as so sort of as, okay, she, yeah what, uh, what, what
1: would have been
0: about without it well no exactly it would have just been the sort of Banging on about class, which I know is what the Britons have done forever, but, um, I think it would have be been a lot less to it. Um, and I remember I, I read it in a youth hostel in Derbyshire. What? It was this old gothic youth hostel, and I was lying there and I was so scared. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I remember lying in this bed, needing the loo, and be like, I can't leave the room. <laughs> i could have to just stay here. <laughs> um, I mean, to people who read, Horror books often, I imagine it's not scary at all, but. but well, There's lots of,
1: of a gentleness at persuasion, yeah.
0: Yes. So she does that brilliantly, um, without really, um, without, as you say, nothing gory is happening, nothing that shocking is happening really, but somehow she just builds up tension really brilliantly.
1: Yeah, because you're anticipating something the whole time and nothing mm. actually happens. Until the end, obviously. Um, but yeah, the whole, I think that's what makes it so frightening is because you think surely something will happen, surely something will happen and nothing does. Um, so she's constantly. You know, battling with you with your own preconceptions and it is a bit like watching The Shining or something like that where you know when that scene I don't know if you've seen it <laughs> but there's the scene in the corridor where the kid's just on his little tricycle and he's going round each bend and you can't see around the bend and nothing actually ends up happening but it's terrifying because you keep thinking he's going to see something something's going to happen around the next <laughs> time, and it doesn't and that's how I felt reading it um and I really can't imagine what it would have been about if she'd have just not included those elements it would have just been a really boring book
0: yeah <laughs> and I think what this this one of the strengths of that is I, th- I think I'm right saying it's all in the first person or at least yes. um, yeah it is. so we, we, we're we very much in this mind of Dr Faraday even if he's not telling us everything or isn't giving yes. us full access to his mind it's very cleverly done um, the way that she manages what the reader knows and without f- it feeling like he's keeping it too much from us yeah Whereas perhaps that was something that lacked in the Night Watch, We didn't get to see anyone
1: no.
0: close up enough. It
1: was um, distant from the characters, I think, yeah.
0: Um, and I think that was something they did brilliantly in Fingersmith as well, like what, what the characters know and what the reader knows and the way that that's managed. Um, I think it's something she's very, very good at. I mean, that one is... Am I right in saying that one's in the third person? Or is it half and half? I can't remember. I but um, either way, yeah, she she... she she balances reader knowledge so brilliantly in when it's important um, Yeah, what she's telling you and not telling you better than almost any writer I can think of um, did you read her most recent one the, the Paying Guests
1: I haven't yet no I've got it on my shelf ready to read but I haven't yet
0: it is very good I liked it a lot but um...
1: my mum read it and okay. she said it was a bit um, she said it kind of fizzled out towards the end
0: yeah, so it's, it's a book of two halves, and I won't say what divides them because I don't want to spoil it, but um, it's, one of those, it's one of those ones where if you've read lots of Sarah Waters' books, you're expecting it to go one way and it doesn't go that way, right. which is all, all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's sort of like The Thing the Shining. With Sarah Waters, you're expecting big twists or expecting everything to be made clear at the end or whatever. Um, and that one, um, yeah, follows a different path. <laughs> okay. Um so I'll say. But uh let's let's get very spoilery and talk about the end of Little Stranger. Okay, yeah. So what do you think happened?
1: <laughs> I I think he killed her.
0: I didn't remember that she even died, but <laughs> okay.
1: Cuz she falls from the stairs.
0: Oh, up, yes.
1: And he's there and oh, she shouts right. "You" before the end. And it's him. I think he was there. And he's so obsessed with her and with, with having the house. He wants the house for himself. I think that's why she says it's a class novel. He wants to possess that house. He wants to have that status. And he will do anything to get himself into it. And I think it's him who's been there the whole time, causing all these things to happen. And I think he kills her at the end, or causes her to die at any rate.
0: So, yes, I'd forgotten that she died, but I knew there was... uh, Which is almost (laughs) integral. But um, I... In terms of like, whether or not he'd done all these things or he was the manifestation, I, there's a point maybe about 60, 70 pages before the end, and I thought, oh gosh, it's him who's done it. But then I got to the end and did not think that that had been concluded, um, in that way, in that what I was used to from Fingersmith and from Affinity, which I think the only two I'd read before that, um, in fact, I don't think I've read Fingersmith then, but the ones I had read, everything had been neatly and brilliantly tied up so you think, oh, I get it. Whereas that one, I, I came away thinking, why is it finished like this? It's really frustrating. And I went to Google it, and there were people like you, um, and possibly even your review, actually, who were very convinced that that happened. Other people who were very convinced that it was a ghost. Other people like me who had no idea what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't understand quite how we all came to these different conclusions. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I, I think
1: that's, that's the skill of the book, though, isn't it? It's the fact that you can come to the conclusion that you want.
0: I guess it is Asuka. I think I'm more... Perhaps my detective novel-loving side makes me want, in some books, to have a very unambiguous ending. So for Things like that where it's so like, who done it or did they do it? I want to know at the end. <laughs> 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 That's about me. Yeah. <laughs> and so maybe I'll, just te- maybe I'll just convince myself that it that the interpretation that you came to was the one that I also came to.
1: Well, <laughs> no, for me, there wasn't any doubt, but, you know... Uh, i can also see how you could look at it in another way but i think you know he's he's laid the groundwork is laid for it to be him
0: i think because have you have you you read affinity
1: i Um, think i probably have but not i mean years like when i was at university years ago like you know about over a
0: decade (laughs) (laughs) well it's the first one i read back in shortly before university um and I, Again, obviously, I, I don't remember anything about it, but I do remember that um, it was very conclusive. And I thought, "Gosh, this is so clever." And I think perhaps because *The yeah, Little Stranger* didn't end with him confessing to the reader, yeah. I was, so yeah, I just I was just used to a complete lack of ambiguity. Maybe there was maybe I read more ambiguity into it than than I needed to. Yeah. Um, which I found very, very annoying, but it doesn't, doesn't dispel what is, I think, a really, such an effective, book, such effective writing, um, and I think very hard to analyse quite why it's, why it works, why there's so much tension. I don't know. I never know how you can analyse, what keeps a reader hooked to the page.
1: Well, I think you have to kind of care about the characters and you also have to want to find out what's really going on. And I think that's what works quite well, because we have this this mysterious maid figure and you're thinking, oh, is she up to no good? Or, you know, is it really a figment of their imagination or is there something going on? And I think because there is so much ambiguity, it keeps you hooked because you want to know, you want to find out. And because you're constantly anticipating that something awful is going to happen on the next page, that's what drives you forward. Um, I think it is, I think out of all the books I've read of hers, I think it's probably her best um, and the most representative of how skillful she is as a writer. And I find it quite interesting that I feel that way in the one book of hers that's very different from her others.
0: Uh, yes, are you alluding to mm. <laughs> um, the lack of lesbian relationships? Yes,
1: it? it's her only book where there are no lesbian relationships. And so I, I, read an,
0: I read an article where she just re, she said my my class novel or my non lesbian novel, <laughs> so she's she's very aware of that as well.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's not that I have a problem with what it's in her other novels. Like it never has. I mean, no, it didn't actually occur to me until I finished it, and I was like, "This feels different." And I was like, "Oh yeah, there wasn't any lesbian relationships in this one." But um it's I, I felt like. She was writing a different kind of novel, and she'd kind of freed herself from writing about the kind of stuff she always normally writes about and She had allowed herself to do something different and I think that really shone through in her writing and I think she's actually a very very good um mystery suspense writer, and like fingersmith, that works really well with the mystery and suspense element as well mm, definitely I think in, um the night watch for me that that element of suspense wasn't really there um and I think in Affinity there isn't really much suspense either from my remember about reading it so that I think she does a really really good job also of writing in the Victorian era she really managed um, so Fingersmith was really good because of that and also the period she's of course so good on period detail um, and I think this brought together the two things that she's really good at period detail and the mystery and, and it felt really strong to me as a text
0: yeah, going back to what I was saying about being the only one without um, a lesbian storyline, it's also sort of the only one doesn't really have any sort of romantic storyline. Um, there's sort of a hint of it, I guess, between Caroline and Dr. Faraday, but I don't think it's the... it's not the mainstay of the novel. I think that's probably one of the reasons I like it best, in that I find reading about any sort of romantic relationship quite boring in a book. Um, I don't... yeah the sort of will-they-won't-they they, or, or, the you know, the dynamics of a marriage or something, it's not what draws me to a novel. Um, and, you know, in in some cases, particularly if it's like, shall I have an affair with this man or this man? I think, oh, I just don't care. Yeah. But, um,
1: well, I think, I think it is a love story, actually, in many ways. I think it's his love affair with the
0: house. Oh, very nice. Yes, yeah, so that sort of love affair, I'm all over. Yeah. <laughs> um And actually, I love, it's like The Air by Peter Sackville-West and... Um, yeah. All these love books about someone being in love with a house or or a place, and that sort of being the, th- the sort of love affair that drives them to distraction or or ends happily sometimes. But um yeah, that's I think that's much maybe much more interesting just because it's I don't know if, if there's two people in a book as it as it usually is. You sort of it feels very individual to them, and perhaps you if you don't like one of them, you think well that's a waste of time. Whereas with a house, even if the house doesn't appeal. You can sort of understand what might draw them there or how important it might be to them, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And I think because it's not focused around a love story as much, you actually get more complexity with the other characters. You're not having all the focus on the romance. It's a more psychological novel, which I think really works well as well.
0: Um, and it's remembering that, um, but again, looking back at my review, the books I compared to that, that it is very like Rebecca in some Mm. ways. Um, And not just sort of, you know, the big house and and the mysterious secrets and stuff, but, but, well, I mean, it is those things and the tension. In a similar way, it feels, it's got that sort of tension and haunting. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, I'd I'd love her to write a sort of just an out-and-out detective novel or a murder mystery or something.
1: Yeah, I think she'd be great at it.
0: Maybe that's the calling that she's not quite fulfilled yet.
1: No, well, maybe the next one. We can wait and see.
0: Yeah, she normally takes a little while, doesn't she? She's we've yes. probably got a few years.
1: So well,
0: they yeah, are so long. One thing I did like a lot about the latest one is that it's set in the twenties, so that was nice.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it actually. Um it is sitting waiting. A signed copy, no less, that I found in a charity shop, which was very exciting.
0: Ah well she signed my copy when I went to hear her speak. Which oh, Yeah. Um Yeah, she was a she was a good speaker. Um and I think as you allude to, she is very good at period detail, whichever period she turns her hand to. So she's done done Victorian in 40s and forties and twenties. Must
1: do so much research. It's very impressive.
0: And she wears it lightly, which yeah. is which I like a lot. Um, and unlike some writers, I don't think there's so many people out there saying, "Well, she made a mistake with this, this, and this." I think it is all very accurate.
1: Yeah, um, she's a brilliant writer. I just I feel the same as you. She hasn't quite reached her zenith yet.
0: But she's young yet. She's only in her 40s, isn't she? Uh, so. No, that's
1: that's very young, really, Simon. Yeah.
0: Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> um, well, as I was learning the other day, Penelope Fitzgerald didn't write novel until she was 16. So well,
1: we've got plenty things. of time. Right? Hope
0: for us all. You, me, and Sarah Waters.
1: we going to lock ourselves together.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think she'd be yeah. okay with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Arguably, she's had more success on the novelistic front than we have, but, you know, who's counting? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, it's no secret that of the two, I will be picking uh, the Little Stranger.
1: Yes, me too. Though I, now I do feel that like maybe I should have persevered with the Night Watch.
0: Well, yes, I hadn't realised you hadn't read it when we <laughs> when we decided to do, do think, it.
1: Is it worth me persevering? Do you think? Oh, <laughs>
0: um, I, well, I think so. I think it's. You know, a, there are some nice payoffs and some interesting bits, um, and I think if you've already committed a couple hundred pages to it, then you, then you, it's worth finishing. It will make it feel worth. Okay,
1: it, maybe I'll go back to it then.
0: Um, and I think, yeah, she's 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 a pacey writer. You can probably get get through it in a in a weekend afternoon.
1: Okay, I'll do my best.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the yeah, or just try the Little Stranger. Sorry, not the Stranger, um,
1: paying guests. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: Um, do let us know listeners which is your favourite Sarah Waters and please defend the one that we have not been um, too favourable about (laughs) but we do still love her
1: yes we do she's an
0: amazing writer yes Um, cool so next time and we took such a long time to come (laughs) up with this pairing because we knew we wanted to talk about My Family and Other Animals by Gerald Darrell which British listeners may have been watching an adaptation of on TV although I must confess I have not seen (laughs) um, the the Darrells so, oh my God, we'll have nothing to say about that. But, um, so that book, I mean, you wanted to do it with something, but we both, and while well, we've both read quite a lot of family and childhood memoirs, we just haven't read the same ones as each other. Mm. But, but in the end, we decided we're going to do it with, um, Cider with Rosie by Laurie Lee, which I have not read, but by next time I will have done.
1: It's beautiful, you'll love it.
0: Ooh, well, I love it more than my family and other animals. Tune in next time to find out. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Cool, thanks for listening everyone. Bye. Bye.